Hey everyone, today I have Joe Lightfoot with me for some conversation. If you are involved in metamodern circles at all, and really any number of communities on the quote unquote liminal web, you'll know who Joe is. I've, I've always really appreciated your voice. You are a wonderful, um, you're a wonderful, what's the word? Let me think about this because I want to frame this in the right way. Take your time. Right. Use many adjectives. Wonderful facilitator of communitas. Um, there, there, there are some folks mm. who are uh, just particularly adept. I feel like some of the things we can talk about would be in the realm of communitas, in the realm of community building, community fostering, um, what it means to live in a community that is online, digital, a diaspora of sort of liminal web quasi-intellectuals all exploring and teaming around the same basic primordial soup of ideas. Uh, feel free to say anything else that you would like about, I don't know, the work that you're doing and what's meaningful for you about all this. Yeah, I received those words with love. Thank you, Brendan. That was a very generous and kind introduction. And yeah, I think you nailed it. And I see those same qualities in you, my friend, which I think is what we can kind of get into and discuss of you also play that role of holding different threads of the discussion and different people together. And yeah, being able to integrate the different perspectives and try to find what's true in amongst it all. And so, yeah, it's an interesting role to play in this kind of subculture we find ourselves in and a really important one. So yeah, maybe we can start to talk a little bit about the liminal web and what it is and, and how it fits together as a starting place to go into yeah, the discussion. That was, that was exactly my thought was let's start with that essay that you wrote, which I'll uh, link in the description and whatnot. But uh, mm -hmm. I really enjoyed that. It did a wonderful job. I've referenced it in a couple of other recent contexts. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Talk about the liminal web. What is the little liminal web? How do you, what's the liminal web and, and how does it feel? And maybe speak a little bit about some of that. Mm. Yeah. So it is a collection of thinkers, doers, theorists. I've kind of split it into three groups of uh, systems, poets, meta theorists, and sense makers is a kind of like broad brushstroke that I think contains the essence of it. I, I mean, a lot of people have heard about the intellectual dark web. Um, that was kind of the first of these models that I heard of a few years ago. Then the intellectual deep web was proposed by Alexander Boehner from Rebel Wisdom, which I thought was a really great article and, and got closer to what I was feeling into as my kind of intellectual subculture. Um, Tyler Alterman mentioned the Meta Tribe and did a really good Stoa session and wrote some fascinating tweets on that. And then, uh, yeah, the sense-making web is another name that was kind of mentioned for it. So it's already been kind of pointed towards, but I felt the way that I was seeing it in particular hadn't quite been articulated. And I wanted to move that forward because those other um, models were all over a year, a year ago and, and things evolved quite quickly in the space. And so, yeah, I thought I'd have a bit of fun and, and create, well, what does it look like? And it kind of started from this, you know, because at one point you're like, wait a minute is this just what I'm seeing? Is this just the weird confluence yeah. of things and people that I'm into? And I think right. we all have a version of that. 
But then there was some objectivity in the fact that, wait a minute, there's a huge crossover within a set of podcasts and YouTube channels that are really pointing towards something that is its its own distinct entity that, um, yeah, it's kind of become its own thing. So the article was pointing towards that. Um, It feels to me... Oh, it feels like a lot of things, which I kind of talk about. A whole lot of emotions come up for me because it's kind of, I have a lot of hope invested in this thing. I project a lot of my own dreams and fears and ideas onto it. Yeah. Um, but at its core, there is a gentle optimism, I feel, of a new kind of culture that is slowly being cultivated in amongst these relationships, a new way of being, a new way of thinking. And that's that's tremendously exciting to me. And that was really one of the reasons I wrote about it was how do we move it more in the direction of its potential rather than some of the more shadowy aspects that show up in so many kind of networks that we're a part of. Um, So yeah, that's where I'll start. Your description of things like landed very well. And um, one of the things that came out of it, I'm curious to sort of ask about is sort of a, almost a sort of a meta question I can't help but ask, but it's sort of like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the idea of sort of making a map of map makers, like what, what, what do we gain and what do we lose by putting a name on things, by trying to conceptualize sort of the boundaries of things? Um, that'd be the first question, I guess, maybe I'll throw out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. I kind of talk about it a bit in the piece of like, is it dangerous naming this thing? Is it like, cause as soon as you name it, it becomes static. And it also becomes, ironically, this is a group of people that hate being classified into certain groups. So just by doing it, you're kind of putting this straitjacket on folks that really don't want to wear it. And you're also putting people together that have really big differences in thinking. That's something that interests me about the liminal web is that you really do have quite a broad church of perspectives. And some of them are pretty diametrically opposed and yet something links them. And that's the kind of interesting thread that I think we're all touching on. What is that? What is that? It's yeah. Yeah. Well, what is that? That, that'd be a great question. What, I mean, let's throw some, throw some things at the wall and let's see what sticks. I think the ability to inhabit many different perspectives and to try and make that broader integral move of integrating the truth from every perspective as much as possible. I think if I was going to have to put it in one sentence, it would be that. Because I think while ever, while people would disagree, there's an ability to take that perspective and honor it. And, and something that I was just thinking about before, which is quite interesting, is a lot of the time, I think what we do is we discount others' perspectives that don't fully resonate with our own. We find ways to cut them down and push them away. And we kind of know we're doing that, but we still feel a bit like less you know, mine's better basically. But what I like about this liminal web space, even though I disagree with some of the people and and find them, you know, not particularly like folks that I might want to necessarily be close with, I respect them enough to know that whatever they're saying, there's a kernel of truth in that, that I should probably be listening to. And what I'm not resonating with is probably just a different perspective on reality. And as I mature, I'm starting to realize that it's perhaps impossible as one person to really hold all those different perspectives. And that's where it becomes a really interesting kind of meta community liminal web brain of being like, all right, I can't hold all of this, but I respect the people in this space enough between us to be able to come to some kind of consensus on something. So yeah. that's another intro. Is there mm-hmm. something about the way that 
discussion, uh, argumentation, debate, and, I, and the exchange of ideas occurs in the liminal web as sort of a structure of engagement that is a part of this. Um, and if so, could that be part of, uh, of the way that we sort of maximize its, its essential characters or qualities? Yes, I think there is. And it's really interesting to try and trace it. Um, broadly, I would suggest that there's a level of uh, self-awareness. There's a level of embodiment beyond just the intellectual realm that occurs in the discussions. And I mean, if I look at the discussion that you had with Lehman and John Viveki just a couple of days ago, the series that you're doing, it's a good example of that, of, of someone that maybe hasn't seen a liminal web interaction might find that a bit like, wait, what are these guys doing? There's kind of space in between what they're talking about. No one's really rushing to make a point or score a point of someone else. So, you know, these qualities of dialogos, as it's kind of described, are definitely a part of it. Um, that can be, be, feel a bit silly and go a bit too far sometimes. I've seen certain discussions where it's kind of like, wait a minute, what are we doing? It just gets super meta. And, and, but that's also part of the process. So I'd suggest that that broader aspect is in there. And yeah, there's some degree that what we're doing is bigger than us. I would hope, this is what I like to see in these discussions, that it's less about you know, I've won a debate with you and more about what have we built in terms of a wider system that we're trying to kind of create a more healthy version of. One of the things I would like to get to in some, at some point is what this all looks like in trying to live it in an embodied way, right? Because this is an online context. It's an online community of people coming together and what the limitations of that are, as well as the, you know, what the benefits are. Um, I think it's interesting for us to look at the shadows of the liminal web and also some of the deficiencies that many of us experience, because well, what I want to point out is that what I'm kind of mapping isn't just the thinkers themselves. It's bigger than that. They're just a symbol of, of the people that engage with this discussion. And it's hard to, to know how many people that is, whether it's a few thousand or, or, or more, but, uh, yeah, it's this bigger, this bigger community. So I just kind of want to make that point that it's not just the people that I, I point to as examples of it, although they mm -hmm. are nodes. And where I think there is a trajectory of evolution that I point to a bit in the piece of what started out as little kind of media output nodes, podcasts, YouTube videos, clubhouse clubs, has evolved into what I'm calling sense-making collectives. And that starts to intersect in an interesting way with my own work around, well, how do we form new types of community? And uh, this is where I think it's really interesting because it's like a meta collective that it's occurring, but there's little pockets of it. And they're all kind of going through the same process of, all right, we start to put out some ideas. We start to share these similar thinkers. Well, we're trying to look at philosophy. We're looking at the intellectual uh, culture of the time, but we're also looking at shadow work and what it means to kind of come to terms with our own conflicted nature and how we show up in the world and well, what is the meta crisis and what's our role in that. And so there were these similar themes that are playing out and you can see it in Rebel Wisdom, you can see it in the Stoa, you can see it in Denizen. Um, 
which is where these communities start to form and they start to something more wants to happen. It's more than just ideas. We're looking for each other. We're looking for belonging. We're looking for connection. And we're looking to do that with people that share our worldview because a lot of people in the liminal web are quite isolated where they are and perhaps might not have many people in their day-to-day lives to kind of really build on with this. So there's a kind of beautiful draw. And this is where it starts to get really interesting because this is the first time we're able to do that through the internet and social media and these new platforms that are emerging. So I think it's quite an interesting historical moment. And as they're drawn towards each other, they're wanting to form community. But how do you do that online? And and what kind of intimacy can you share? And you know, what kind of responsibility? Because there's a level of sacredness that's involved in that, of being able to hold all the parts of another person. Mm-hmm. And that requires a level of dependability of people basically just not ghosting halfway through that process. Mm-hmm. And the internet just leans towards that so easily. If all other things going on, log off and it's gone. So there's an interesting tension there. And each of the sense-making collectives, as I described them, has kind of faced that. They've kind of started to build a community. Maybe they've had a discord or they've done groups or they've met in person as well. And there's generally been, yay. And then a kind of like, whoa, this is a lot. Now we're suddenly dealing with hundreds of people and mm-hmm. we're, you know, what does this become a cult or a religion or, or what, what pathway does it go down? We don't, mm-hmm. we're, we're kind of creating that. And often these people are full-time creating digital media at the same time. And that's like an add-on of suddenly. So a lot of them kind of tend towards like, all right, let's not actively do that so much. And there's this kind of wave effect that goes on. And that's mm. kind of where we're at. And for me, Denizen is a particularly interesting example. It's perhaps a little bit lesser known to other people in the liminal web, yeah. but it's come out of Clubhouse. And Jenny Stefanotti has set up this amazing uh, online collective of thinkers from all across America, but also the world with a huge crossover with liminal web speakers, massive. It's the same themes, the same ideas. But she's actively been cultivating the community part of it. And they've gathered together a few times hmm. and they've really been working that side of things. And uh, it's beautiful. People and what, are feeling Where is that going on? Is that, is that a, is Denizen a, a website? Is it a forum? Is it a Facebook group? What is Denizen exactly? So it's come out of Clubhouse. They were kind of one okay. of the biggest Clubhouse yep. rooms. But mm-hmm. since they've evolved beyond that, they've got a website. They're based on the West Coast, the, the, the people that have set it up. But they're really all over the States, mm-hmm. per se. Um, yeah, and that's now a podcast as well. But they're more actively forming that community part. And yeah. that links into where does that go to? And I kind of talk about that a little bit. For me, a dream I think you and I both share is to find ourselves in lived yeah. physical, spiritual community. And and the spiritual part's an interesting part because that word is generally pretty well received in the liminal web. Mm-hmm. But there'll be a few people that are like, that gets their shackles up. So mm-hmm. that, you know, everything we need to kind of gently unpack yeah. and make sense of. But yeah, you look at something like the monastic academy, which is really, I think, kind of pioneering that. And mm-hmm. uh also future thinkers who have bought a big piece of land in Canada mm-hmm. and are about mm-hmm. to build a smart village. So we, we're seeing these different experiments unfold. Yeah. And they're all different enough to be fascinating to compare. Yeah. Gosh, so many thoughts. So how do we convert this kind of energy that we see in these communities and in this online space into real world uh, realizations, instantiations, and turning that uh, sort of potential energy into kinetic energy in the world. 
Yeah. For me, that's a really rich question because my background before more actively participating in the liminal web was doing exactly that. So I spent seven years developing a community with many different aspects to it, to a really peak stage. So I felt like we were doing it. We were creating a new culture. So when you ask, will people be interested in this? I know that they are. I mean, it wasn't a neo-monastic setting, so that's definitely an extra level on top, but it, it was very, very all-inclusive of the different parts of, of our being. And we were thriving in that. And people were drawn to that, like, you know, I want to say moths to the flame, but what's a nicer metaphor than that? Maybe butterflies to the petal, like mm. supping on that nectar of belonging, mm. which so many of us are, are lacking and we don't even realize it. So for me, it is just unequivocally the way forward. It is like the most important steps that we can take to recreate these collectives of belonging and change. Now, so that's the lens I bring to the liminal web. So naturally I'm like, get those people, have those experiences, and we're onto something incredible. And that is my life path. That's what I'm up to. That's what I'm dedicating myself to for the next however many years. So we'll see how it plays out because I think it's going to be really, really exceptional. And I think there's different ways that people show up in this online space. And the people that are just treating it like a kind of online kind of whatever, it 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 hurts me. I'm, I'm willing to say that the way I show up is as if that I'm holding you in community. And I'm trying to bring that level of presence and awareness and care mm. to these online spaces. But that's obviously very different to a lot of online culture. And there's a, there's a real friction there. Mm. But I think we just, we, we make it happen. I mean, for me, I feel like we need to learn. We need to relearn how to be in these contexts together. So my next project is creating a kind of syllabus for that of what are the things, what are the initiations that we, we might need to go through to, to better prepare ourselves for that. And I model this on the, the garden from Epicurus, which was about 450 BC. That's the best model that I've seen. I mean, I'm just delighted to discover this lineage. They were nailing it thousands of years ago, exactly what we're talking about. You get together. You, you form a space and you have a philosophical underpinning there, which is something that we share in the liminal web that I was missing in my community mm-hmm. context. We brought together a bunch of people that were living in the same area that enjoyed art and music, but there really wasn't that kind of like mycelium of ideas, which holds people together. And so I'm currently working on a theory that talks about like, how do you create community? And I've got these four P's that I've been looking at. And you've got a person. It's usually a charismatic person. Ideally, it's a group of people, but it's mostly one. You've got practice. What is it that you do when you come together? You've got a place. What holds you together? And you've got philosophy. And what what ties you together? Now, I had three of those four in the community that I was Mm. in. And it rocked. But without that underlying philosophy, things got a bit weird. And that's where I think we have enough shared philosophy in the liminal web, even though there's differences, to have some really interesting uh, overlap go on. And yeah. So cool. To what degree, let me see if I can phrase this the right way. I want to take this in two different directions using the same question. Okay. To to what degree is this liminal web that you've sort of outlined and, and I think done a good job describing a an online phenomenon 
And to what degree is that phenomenon just sort of a pretense or a precursor for the potential to get together in real life in as people in the physical space of the world and do something in that space? Um, if that makes sense. You're going to love my answer, Brendan. Both end. Very good. Which could good. be the catch cry of the liminal web, the battle cry of the liminal web. Um, I think my conception of this is I want to have a physical community that I'm attached to in real life. Over time, hopefully that becomes more populated with liminal folks. I'm willing to move to a location where that can happen. And I think many people in the liminal web would be if the, if the opportunity was there. But I also want to have a digital equivalent because that's about to get really interesting with AR, with VR, and with the kind of experiences that we can have in an online context. So I want to have both. They might overlap, but I'm not afraid to lean into online community building. I think it's, you know, we definitely need to be yeah. cautious with where that leads us. But some of the experiences I've had over the last uh, year or two during the pandemic, exceptional level of mm. depth of understanding in an asynchronous manner, which means that you can just kind of log in for a little bit, log out, come back the next day. And that level of connection and understanding and belonging and love and communitas is really high. And all it took was a level of, well, this is the tricky bit. You got to get people in the same wavelength, the same level of commitment, and uh, you got to sync them up. And if you can do that and you don't have outliers in that, that are kind of warping the culture too much, you can have a really low energy input, uh, high communitas output experience. And that for me is just, that's amazing. It's a really, really, really exciting area to explore. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. What do you think when you think of these communities crystallizing in particular uh, localized embodied contexts, what does that tend to look like in your mind? Yeah. So I, my first book, Collective Blooming, was about sidestepping this eco-village plan a little bit. Our whole generation and a lot of the millennials were kind of like, great get the land, live together. That was the dream. We kind of rebooted that 60s back to the land idea. And I, I, I still hold that. I think a lot of us do. But as I looked around, I realized, and I visited a lot of these communities all around the world. It's, it's, it's hard when you're managing infrastructure and land and you know, creating culture is this really subtle process. And, and those responsibilities just drown that out. So I had this idea of, well, let's start what I called conscious change collectives or just collectives which syncs up with Richard Bartlett's work around micro-solidarity of what do these new containers of belonging look like? And so for me, you take it as much pressure off them as possible to begin with. You don't have them making money. You don't have the people living together. You just do stuff together in this new context. So, you know, you talk about philosophy, maybe you have sharing circles together. You might have a shared garden, you perform art and you make it easy and fun and, and, and low key so that you can test it out. And that's what we did for a few years as a collective and it works. And even that is hard that that fell apart in lots of ways and rebuilt. And because there's a lot of, basically there's a lot of integral psychology we need to do a lot of shadow work we need to do we're so used to being atomized hyper individuals that it's really hard to do this even though we're all longing for it so that's the kind of model i uh 
start with of just get a group of people in an area. You can also do this online, but it's good in in the physical and just start having experiences together, which can sound very vague to people, but um, I can get more specific with anyone that's interested in that. They can read my work or reach out to me. But where I want it to go, I want to create a version of Epicurus's garden. I'm figuring where I'm going to do that but that a physical location where we can come and we can let our guard down and we can enjoy the pleasure of friendships of virtue together with a philosophical inquiry. So it's kind mm. of in the mold of the monastic Academy, but that's a little bit more like Zen, get up five in the morning <laughs> chant, which is cool. It's I would intense. Do that for, it's it's intense. intense. It's super intense there. It's intense. Yes. I would do that for like a month of the year at the moment. But for me, I, I, I model myself a little bit more on Osho's vision, which, you know, went pretty squirrely. So we've got good case studies of how not to do it, but more of that Zorba the Buddha kind of like, and this is what Epicurus was about. He's kind of famous for, you know, he's been misappropriated through history, but really he was about deep friendship, simple pleasures, moderation, and taking the time to enjoy each other and talk with each other in the garden. And that, yeah, that just lights me up on so many levels. It's, it's so achievable, but it's also highly complex because you're dealing with all of our own insecurities and, yeah, a lot of the baggage that we bring into these contexts. And this is the lens through which I look at the liminal web. I'm looking at, like, how do we keep tripping up? How do we keep resetting the culture in strange ways how who are we excluding from this discussion and 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 that that's what i look at and that's that's where i'm trying to yeah really focus in the work well let me ask you this i've as a moderator in like a group i've grappled with a lot of those questions too and i it's a very hard thing to do especially when there is the penumbra of spirituality in the mix right if you were just sort of like a we want to get together and talk about boats you know then like if someone comes in they're like i love cars boats are shitty then you're like okay well you suck get out of here and everyone will pile on we're all good right but when it's like well we're here to talk about spirituality and growth and depth and like expansion and and all these things right then if someone comes in and they start shitting on people and being mean it's a lot harder to be like I need to kick you out of this group in order to do the spiritual thing. Right. You know? And so I think that that's a real trip up for a lot of people and it's a hard thing to get the right balance of. And I wanted to throw this question by you, which is one of the sort of kind of heuristic fallback kind of ideas that I'm, I'm using is sort of like, I am charitable for all things except uncharitability right mm. when i see people being uncharitable i'm like no we're not going to we're going to we're not going to put up with that like for me the hallmark and maybe in some ways this is a really interesting parallel to that idea of both the kind of intellectual nuance and depth that i feel like we both connect to in in this sort of community it's also ideally when it's really expressed the emotional kind of um empathic charitability uh, that in its best forms gets manifested in terms of when people can, can say, you know, when you have two people that disagree and rather than it turning into just a slug fest of like, well, you're so dumb and blah, 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 blah. But it actually turns into a real rich nuanced, 
And nuance isn't even the right word because it's not about, it's not conceptual, it's emotional. It's, I see you, you differ. I don't see it that way, but I respect you. Uh, and, and on the basis of the sort of mutual respect, I am going to not be an asshole to you. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of like, it seems so simple, but it's shockingly rare, especially in online spaces. So anyway, I don't know the principle of sort of charitability and sort of, sort of its corollary of uncharitableness meets uncharitableness. I'm curious what you think about that. Yeah, you come up against this really difficult truth that I discovered that you kind of need to go through as a community builder. It's like an initiation. Most of us come in with this really inclusive sense of like, we want to include everyone. We want to bring them in and we want to integrate as many feelings and people and perspectives as possible. And you realize at some point that that's just not possible. And this for me is where the developmental lens becomes essential because I'm not just talking about this from a kind of theoretical idea, which is fascinating, but more like a lived experience of there's different people at different levels of development. And we don't need to lump it together into one, although I think you can actually do that, which is a fascinating discussion, but a very controversial one. But more broadly, looking at people on different lines of development, particularly how they show up in community is kind of, you know, emotional, relational language, self-awareness, awareness of other the people are just at different levels. And you know, as is well known, the cognitive line can often run ahead. And that's what we see in the liminal web. We see a lot of mm. really smart people who might not be so well rounded out in these other areas. And for me to experience what I want to, I need to have a membrane around it. And what I'm seeing again and again, different leading community theorists is these different permeable membranes and you have different concentric rings. And that just doesn't sit well with a lot of people. That doesn't sit mm. well with all the parts of me. It's like, really? All right. So that means you need to exclude people from some things. And that means you need to have like a kind of spiritual bouncer that kind of figures out what's going on. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. That came from Peter Lindbergh, I think, as so many great phrases in our liminal web do. Great. And you need to be, that person needs to be celebrated and loved and not shamed and, and and that's like a really holy role and you start to have these really important roles and rituals and then you start to get into this really delicious like oh yeah we're just tribal creatures that are looking to rediscover that in a better way but how do we approach this with the utmost care so that we don't go down the yeah the negative tribal route or the cult route which is mm -hmm. so easy yeah. to do yeah so there's yeah there's these really delicate threads that we need to kind of undo but at the end of the day, I think we need a way of assessing where people are at, having different levels. And I think you can have a level of inclusion still by saying to people, hey, maybe you're not at the level for that experience yet, but here's a pathway to get there. Here's a set of experiences. Maybe even here's a mentorship program that will enable you to get there and you can pay it forward. And you just kind of set up this model yeah. because I'm the first to admit that I have lots of hangups. I need help and growth with. And so if I could receive that in one way and then pass it on, I think there's a beautiful way of, of, of kind of setting that up. Yeah. It's such an interesting issue of like the challenge and the benefit of homogeneity, the problems that that introduces, but also 
um, the issues it resolves. And it's a, it's a very fraught issue. I mean, when mm-hmm. I think about these things of, um, as you say, I mean, I, I'm very interested in the idea of having a physical community of people who are kind of all resonating at this wavelength and doing this thing and kind of share this, you know, same project. But it's an interesting then sort of constitutional question, like, all right, if you built in the idea that it's important to have feedback and interaction with that multi-tiered, many-layered diversity of different, say, developmental sets for the sake of trying to, say, make a microcosmic version of what you're trying to influence in the macrocosmic context, um, you know, one, is that, is that a good idea? Is that, is that, is that a good idea? Um, mm-hmm. Because there's sort of the built-in challenge of, and it's always easier, well, this is maybe not necessarily the case, but it's a question, I guess. Is it always easier to be dealing with like-minded folks, right? Or is there something to be gained by I mean, and of course there is, right? But then the question, oh, well, let me finish the sentence. I always do this. Is there something to be gained by uh, a perspective that's sort of totally out of left field? And you're like, well, wait, that doesn't have any seeming place here, right? And how do we integrate that in a way that is um, sort of maximally beneficial, right? What is the place for sameness? What's the place for difference? I don't mean to take this in too far of an abstract you know, direction, but it's, it's, no, I'm with you. It's fascinating. I think you're touching on one of the most important questions that I lose sleep over. So (laughs) the community that I formed was the most beautiful mixture of freaks and thinkers from all parts of the political spectrum, because it was an expat community in Northern Thailand. So we had this strange choice selector of we're all here because we're leaving the system and we love this area of Chiang Mai of the kind of chilled uh, creative flair you had conspiracy theorists, you had Trump supporters, you had, you name it, you the real kind of social justice warriors. And we all got along and we all loved each other. And I'm ruining this a little bit because I think that might've been the high watermark in my life of that ever happening. Because mm-hmm. I feel like since then, after 2016, everything that, that's happened since then, wow, the polarization, I'm not sure how we get back there again anytime soon. And so obviously that's really sad because I think the most beautiful tapestry you can get has the broadest array, but I'm, I'm realistic here in that it, it fell apart. There was a civil war that occurred because of that. And that wasn't just because of the polarization and the pressure of, of what's happening in the political climate. It was also the underlying fault lines. What I've discovered is that when you put yourself into these crucibles at some point, that manifests itself. And people's political leanings, I think, kind of line up with values more than they just do in terms of political belief. Mm. So I think this is where we have to get really artful. And this is where I think the liminal web can be an interesting example of that, where you have a broader ecosystem where we have a very wide array of difference. And we respect each other within that. But then you have maybe the uh, systems, poets, meta theorists, and sense makers within that. And you have a kind of group that can form deeper and deeper bonds to kind of get that belonging and collectivity we're after. But we then need to become expert in not othering the other. Because the danger is as we get that deep draft of connection with people, we start to see others as inferior. And it just seems to 
creep in unconsciously, even mm. if you're trying to watch it. So I feel like that's one of the master practices we need to work on. So it's, yeah, that's both and again of like, find the people that you really resonate with, but then stay connected in part of a broader mimetic ecosystem that challenges the way you think and then connect that ecosystem to the ones next to it. And then you start to have a model for how we can really restructure the whole kind of, you know, socio-political web, which starts to get really interesting. I'm, I mean, you know, yes, yes, yes. I agree. I agree. I agree. I'm also though, all right. uh, I'm not sure how to phrase this question. I'll try it a couple Time. I'll try it one time. And if it doesn't land, I'll try it another time. Um, okay. To what degree can these particular models that we build of community that are coming out of the context that you're speaking of mm-hmm. genuinely serve as microcosmic representatives of a, of a macrocosmic reality that we're trying to address if they don't accurately map onto that macrocosmic reality. I don't know if that makes sense. And so I can try it again. Just uh, the last part. What okay. do you mean they don't map onto the macrocosmic reality? Right. So let's say an example of that. maybe to use an example. Actually, this is a very great example because I think it happens okay. a lot is, you mm. know, a bunch of like rich white privileged kids get together, form a commune. And then they're like, Oh, we're going to go save the world. And like, you know, you know, make things better for everyone. And then they immediately find out once they actually get into the world that not everything operates the way that a commune does for rich, white, privileged, white kids. Right. So it's sort of like, well, wait, I don't understand. Right. Because their, their map of the world was, well, this is how the world works and it worked in this community. Right. And so the challenge I think would be, or maybe the question is to what degree does the liminal web in the community building that occurs there uh, map in a, in a meaningful way onto the world that the liminal web is trying to speak to and to affect. Yeah. I don't know also if that's an important question, it could totally be a useless theoretical question, but it came Mm -hmm. up while you were talking and and Mm -hmm. it's almost a sort of like hyper postmodern question that comes into my mind that these sorts of Mm -hmm. things, you know, so we don't have to necessarily really dive into that. It's just, it's a, it's an, it's something that comes up as I'm, as I'm thinking about this and what you're saying is sort of, you know, driving with what I think and and questions. So yeah. uh, Answer as you will. What that leads me to think about is why are we doing all this? So I think one reason is because it feels good and it's fun. And it's (laughs) like, I think it's really important to keep that front of mind of like the dual kind of purpose here is just because my heart feels good when I'm talking to you and I love you and I want to know you more and I want you to know the parts of me that I haven't shown you yet and I want to see those parts of you and I want this beautiful creative synergy to arise out of that and then I want that to naturally form into a kind of movement and culture that can include others and that just that's just fun that just feels good that's what I want to do with my life so that's important of like how do you feel secondary to that is that this i think is how we create new culture we want to we don't want to cut ourselves off from the world i don't think we could if we wanted to we care too much about what's going on that i think there's kind of like a natural inclination here it's less of the like let's get the commune in the hills do the drugs have the sex 
kill a few people by accident maybe and live not so happily ever after versus like that's the template i'm working with anyway <laughs> yeah right with if anything we're probably overly focused on the meta crisis we all need to chill the fuck out a little mm -hmm. bit and like nurture ourselves so that we can stay connected to that so i'm not sure that's so much of a direct concern with with this kind of community building endeavor but it mm -hmm. is something to consider not that's to come to such I love it. That's such a beautiful answer. And it's really interesting. I, I, I increasingly, I'm wondering, have I, have I lost touch with my postmodern self? You know, sometimes you have to kind of check in a little mm. bit. I'm like, I, I've been particularly kind of <laughs> critiquing certain things and I'm like, oh no, maybe, you know, have I, have I, have I just fallen back into this modernist cul-de-sac or whatever? Mm. Anyway, all that aside, um, well, have you? Wait, don't leave us hanging. <laughs> I hope not. I don't believe so. But when I when I ask a postmodern framed question and mm. hear an answer such as you gave, I feel rejuvenated and reassured because I think it's a great and a beautiful and an important sort of answer. And I feel mm. like it I'm I feel like it really speaks to the sensibility and the structure of feeling that characterizes this community. Mm. Um, which, you know, is always in the danger of sort of becoming overly theorized. I mean, it almost emerges out of theory itself. And yet the theory is also a form of trying mm. to give expression to what the community is. And when I say that, I'm talking about this metamodernist structure of feeling, which is what you said, I don't think would sort of jive, you know, wouldn't land, it wouldn't resonate, it wouldn't be enough to kind of speak to sort of a postmodern answer. Or, you know, mm. it, it just would be like, well, we're having fun. That's not enough. Like there is institutional systemic problems. But, but I think what's really interesting about it and what's so profound about it is that like, okay, good luck trying to solve institutional and systemic challenges without people being emotionally, psychologically invested, right? Yes. And so if you don't bring the full person into the context, you're not going to see the kinds of results that are necessary to achieve. And so by reframing it as, you know what, this is meaningful. This feels right. It, 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 it works. It's, it's, it sinks in. It's, it's real. It's whatever, whatever language you want to use for that. That's not in any way insignificant. It's actually crucial. It's the, the crux of the kind of burning rose core of what's, you know, motivating and inspiring people behind this, I think. And mm. that to me is super beautiful. There's something, there's, a, there's something I want to try and get at here that's right on the edge of my thinking. I'm writing about in the next article that is fascinating of what so something else I want to say is that the liminal web, just as it is, is just fine. Even if we don't form these communities and we just keep swapping ideas and having a good time online, that's a great thing. I don't want to put pressure on it to be something that it doesn't need to be. Um, that being said, what I think is coming through is this, this desire to create new cultures together. And we have the tools and technologies to do that like never before, but it's a challenge because what we're so used to is this kind of game A construct of compartmentalization of I've got my friends over here. I've got my work over here. I've got my theory over there. And it's, it's very separate. We've got many different mm. identities that we're forming. And, and in some ways that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, but 
I think it fractures us in other ways. And it plays into this kind of alienation that I speak of, which is really subtle. And this kind of embodied community I'm pointing to is the direct antidote to that. But to do that, you need to take some risks and you kind of need to meld all these things together a little bit. And you need to slow down and you need to focus on, okay, what is this culture that we're creating together? It can't really have too much financial pressure to begin with, or that'll warp it out. And so it, it needs to not have too much like, I'm right. Oh, I've got this better theory than you. So it kind of goes against that kind of competitive ideas marketplace thing going on. It's really sacred and it takes a lot of time and energy. And that's this, this difficult situation I see ourselves in because we're all getting busier and busier. We're all trying to increase our own power, our own status, our own money, our own felt sense of joy and worth. And that leads us away from this experience, mm. which is where the kind of monastic element comes in. And that's mm -hmm. that classic historical move of like, I'm sacrificing my individuality to try and move towards some higher level of sacred connection. Yeah. And that is amazing. And that's why I salute the monastic academy so much because it's like, yeah. bam, they did it. They made that jump. It's you see what I'm pointing at? It's like those two things going in different directions. I, I, I'm, I'm intrigued because um, I have been intrigued to notice the degree to which the monastic community has what you might refer to as status, right? People are so deeply interested in that. Mm. And it's a really unexpected, ironic thing because it's, it's precisely because it is sort of eschewing the status thing and trying yes. to do the self-developmental thing that people actually take notice. And yes. so I think that this has always been a paradox that even the kind of traditional religions have recognized. It's sort of like, look, you know, you gain the world by losing the world. You, you, you gain the most when you surrender the most, et cetera, et cetera. All the various paradoxes that have been articulated in those terms. Right. Um, but it's a very interesting point it's an interesting lesson which i think if it could really be taken to heart is a crucial one which is that the hunger for people and ideas and communities and contexts and materials and ideas etc cetera, etc cetera, that are not predicated on and based in this system of trying to get more trying to assert yourself trying to be you know it doesn't factor into this sort of like machine you know uh, hierarchical thing that is so compelling that it's enough of a kind of uh, marginal force to all of the other forces that go into making this crazy society that we live in. It's actually enough to overpower it, which is mm. one of the most beautiful ideas, really, right? I mean, it's when you can really harness, and not harness in the sense of control, but harness in the sense of be dancing with in a meaningful way that those forces you're unstoppable, you know, it's, it, it, mm -hmm. it, 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 it is more than all of that other bullshit. And I think yeah. that there's this really interesting dynamic in which when you get a taste of that, and I think there's a lot, there's a lot of that in these communities that we're talking about, that people are like, they, they sense it. They're like, I like that. Um, that, that is the counter force to 
all that other inertia that you're speaking about. And uh, yeah, this is like the the big religious question of our time, I feel, because what, what, what you're pointing towards and what I've experienced and what I think we're drawn towards is this, you, you sacrifice the individual, you subvert your own drive towards a greater good, which for me is like the ultimate spiritual move. But who are the role models that we've got now? Who, who Elon Musk is the <laughs> pinup boy of the age. And I don't know, I would warrant to say that a lot of, I'll speak for the males at least, I'll speak for myself within the liminal web. There's a part of us that wants to be that. There's a part of us that wants to have complete agency, complete freedom to be using their absolute talents to the highest degree to Mm. benefit the world in terms of these huge visions and to be proud of that and powerful. And it's like, I feel that. And there's a part of me that is oriented towards that. Our whole culture is. And I think mm-hmm. anyone that isn't yeah. would be lying. Yeah. And so we've got that drive within us. And that's that's taking us in some weird directions. But if you kind of contrast that with, with Buddha, perhaps, of the kind of the group, the Sangha, the stillness, the let it go of your own personal desire to some degree, or there's lots of Christian figures as well as many. Yeah. It's tricky. How do we bring those? It's like a perennial question, isn't it? These different aspects of ourselves, but the, that, that first force is really strong in our society right now. And these digital realms push us further towards that. So it's hope for me that we can somehow in this liminal space, be an example of bringing those two together and and use that personal drive for a greater good. And yeah, there's something in there. I agree. I mean, it's, it is a, it's the, it's a perennial solution to that dark side that gets going when it's just this sort of arms race for agential, you know, command, right? Yeah. And that at a certain point, there's sort of an intervention in that process of what can then appear the most attractive quality is precisely the, re- the removing yourself, the self-exile from that system, you know, um, which that, I mean, there's actually good reason to think that our very species sort of came about from those actual evolutionary forces being at play of like the shift mm-hmm. towards more cooperative and blah, blah, blah. there's a whole narrative there, but, but it's true. And I think that to the extent that there is a sort of perennial and timeless quality to religious narratives that are efficacious and edifying, I think it is in that. I think that when people think about that deeply moving emotional quality of like the gospel, I think that's what they're really speaking to. It's like the idea of by being powerless, you are, you are powerful. And there are dark ways that that gets used. And Nietzsche is the best sort of diagnoser of this way uh, mm. uh, that, that these things can then get co-opted by people who want to use power that they can use these sort of narrative justification frameworks to then actually get the sort of power that like no we don't want and so that's a whole other thing you know it's sort of like the Tao, right like you mm. think about the yin and the yang and it yes there's certainly an element to which it's it's the very polarity of the two that is really the ultimate force but there's mm. a way in which like you know, the yin, the strong, you know, assertive element. Um, it It's less powerful than the yin, the, the flowing of water, you know, over the course of millennia can shape mm. entire geographies. And that in the proper framing of things, you begin to see the powers that are possible outside of the immediate 
logics of your particular circumstances mm-hmm. and that you gain inspiration and motivation and power from that. And I think that in the sense that we connect to something that really is beyond us and deeper and truer, it's not, or at least it doesn't have to be this sense of a transcendental spiritual heavenly realm of gods or deities. It, it can be rooted in a sense that, you know, the very forces that shaped the, the geological continents and the, the rivers running through things are so deeply inset into the fabric of existence that that is a power that is bigger than, well, all the Elon Musks of the world, at least. Yes. You know, and so bigger than Elon. I love it. I, I feel, <laughs> I feel an electricity and a, a evangelical almost buzz when we touch on this, because I've started to write about how I would be rethinking religion based on a lot of the fascinating discussions happening mm. in the liminal web. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's this subverting ourselves to each other. And that rediscovery of a kind of sacred humanism, you might say, but beyond that of like that bond is, and I've, I've experienced it in real life and it is the most beautiful feeling. Religious is really the only thing that can describe it. And yeah, to rediscover that is, is just absolutely incredible. And it's funny that you mentioned Nietzsche because I was just reading uh, a quote of his yesterday and I'll share a bit of it here. Deception, flattering, lying, deluding, talking behind the back, putting up a false front, living in borrowed splendor, wearing a mask, hiding behind convention, playing a role for others and for oneself. In short, a continuous fluttering around the solitary flame of vanity is so much the rule and law amongst men. I love that. It's just so beautiful. And it's, he speaks directly to what I feel we need to undo. Okay. Mm. We found each other, the liminal web. Great. We're waving at each other across the world. Like, yeah, I like, I like what you're up to. Now, how do we undo what Nietzsche is pointing to there? How do we get rid of the deception and the flattery and the lying and the puffing ourselves up and the masks? And I don't want to shame it because it's also a part of who and what we are as Mm. modern men and women. Maybe it as just a human condition. I tend to think it's more exacerbated now, but, yeah, this kind of this collective shadow work that I feel we need to do. I, I think that this is part of what is really powerful, helpful about this label of the metamodern thing, especially mm-hmm. as it's been articulated in a cultural theory sort of way. The idea of vulnerability, the idea of authenticity mm. or not authenticity in the modern sense of there's some deep core that's real and blah, blah, blah. It's almost the sense of it's deeper than that because there's even the appreciation that like, oh gosh, I can deconstruct myself and realize that I'm not even there. There's not even an authentic (laughs) self, whatever. But like the sense of being earnest and, and, and the ability to sort of put yourself out on the ledge. um, When you valorize those things, as opposed to the disconnected and aloof coolness of, you know, oh, well, if I don't say anything, no one will know what I don't know versus what I do know. And if I can just stand here and look cool and say everything is dumb and stupid and I hate everything, then like I'm the best person in the room. If you don't valorize that and you valorize people being earnest and open and honest and vulnerable, then you're going to get a lot more of 
people taking down the mask and the vanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so in a bizarrely completely unanticipable way nice. um yeah thanks <laughs> i i'm 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 so enthused by and excited by the reality that some people grok that they they like that is not just like a thing but like that's what is sort of the thing in the sense that like this is a cultural sensibility we're so fed up with, we're so exhausted by exhaustion and cynicism, skepticism yeah. that like yeah. people being real and earnest is like such a breath of fresh air that like, is. that that's where you gravitate towards. And, and so long as that's the attractor point, there's something there until of course it gets co-opted by all the evil forces that will then, you know, inevitably try to do that. But at least in this beautiful moment, this sunshine period, we have, <laughs> People. Capitalism isn't profiting from it yet. <laughs> right. It hasn't been co-opted exactly. yet. Exactly. What's yeah. cool is yeah. that it's it's becoming cool. So the next piece I'm writing is called Of Pods, Squads, Crews, and Gangs. And I'm profiling the four different types of small group uh, experience that's emerging, particularly within the millennial generation, which is touching on exactly what you're pointing to here. 20 years ago, it was cool to deconstruct everything. The cool mm. kids were saying, fuck the system, fuck earnestness, like mm. just checking out of this whole disgusting. I mean, when I was young, I could even feel it around me of like this, like false, like late eighties, early nineties, like happy economy bubble that was going on. You know, it was kind of like grunge came along and it was like, you know, that Radiohead feeling. It's just like, yeah, that was necessary, but we've kind of, We've, we've grown up in that and we've gotten to the point where a natural reaction where we're maturing and we're like, all right, the, it's cool now to care again. Mm. And how are we going to do it? We're going to do it in small groups. And these are like some pretty, they've got some cultural capital, the people I'm talking about here. They kind of are the, the cool kids, if you know what I mean. And they're leaning into this thing. And that's really fascinating. And I guess that's probably one of these just oscillations that happens that maybe in another, we'll get too earnest. And then, the, you know, a couple of generations will have to kind of like burn that down. And then maybe that goes on and on. You know, it's an interesting thing. And I don't try to bring it up too much because it can, you can, you can very quickly get dispirited by thinking about it that way. But at the same time, yeah, mm -hmm. I, I do think that that's true. I mean, be, and it needs to be true, probably at some deep, almost metaphysical level like we need we need change we need oscillation we need dynamism we need things to run their course and then to go in a different direction and and, and at the same time though um you know it's a, it, it's an interesting thing i think what we just were talking about puts its finger in one really important way on an mm -hmm. element of this sensibility but i think another thing that i'm sort of gesturing at right now also does, which is whether you call it the protosynthesis or, you know, this sense that whatever meta narratological framings we have of things, there's the necessary built in understanding that they're not absolute, right? It's the danger of the absolute understood. And yet the pursuance of that absolute in spite of that awareness, that is sort of part and parcel of this entire sensibility. And I say all that just because, yeah, it, it, it could be, it, it feeds into the, the sort of narrative of, of the next 
you know, want to be cool kids who are going to be like, oh, well, if I can, you know, crack the code of how cultural evolution works, the next cool thing will be to be, you know, so disconnected, to be so meta aware of all the earnestness that I'm so over all the earnest, you know, you can do this process, right? Um, I guess I just want to name it because it's, it's part, it's part of a meta awareness to be able to name and understand these things and yet still act in awareness of meta awareness. Um, I think it's important to do that. Uh, at the same time, You're so much a meta theorist, you definitely <laughs> fall into the meta theorist camp. Uh, it's, I don't want to. I don't want to get sort of so caught up in it, though, that it all falls apart. Because this is what's so crucial about it, too, is that you recognize the failures even of meta theory. You recognize the limitations of getting so caught up in theoretical things that you need to come back to earth and say, "Well, whatever else we need to act, we need to do things. We need to live. We need to love. We need to be in relation to other people." And no amount of being in my head will ever substitute for that. And if anything, an amount of being in my head is only going to get in the way of that. So that's a dynamic in all of this. Uh, I'm not necessarily sure what dialectical move the future takes that kind of goes a next step from there, but because action is always necessary. But that's a big part for me is like realizing that all of these things are fraught. All of them are built in pre-understood that they will never live up to the ideal and yet we do them anyway mm. because we have to and because the good will never arrive if we're not aiming for the best something like mm. that yeah yeah i'm with you i'm with you i'll, I'll heed that metamodern battle cry um <laughs> the maybe a nice place to to finish is this idea that like there's a simplicity on the other side of all this complexity and it's so nourishing, mm. but you need to go through the complexity to get there. Well, you need to go through the, through the complexity to stay there. You can get to that simplicity with any group of people through any practice, but if you want to stay in sync with them through the ups and downs, through the conflicts and through the disagreements, you need to have enough of that theoretical resonance underlying things to come back to that and feel safe again and again. So, yeah, I think we've got to kind of like try and balance those different parts and, yeah, feel into that and, and keep leaning into the promise of, of being kind and giving each other the benefit of the doubt and being really aware of how we relate interpersonally, even if it's online through the web and, and act as if we are creating a new culture together because I think that's what's at play. And I think if you zoom out, this is a really fascinating cultural moment in history of the way groups are finding each other for the first time through the internet. And instead of having to make a community with the few hundred people within the 10 square kilometer radius, mm. you've got 8 billion people, 7 billion, whatever it is to choose from. That's enormous. And how we, I think our group has a particular responsibility of how do you do that without destroying the planet in a couple of generations mm -hmm. of polarity? Because yeah, we seem to be geared towards that. That's our thing. So if we can't pull that <laughs> off, who can, you know? So yeah. like, yeah, coming at it with that level of awareness. Joe Lightfoot, thank you so much. This has been greatly uh, enriching, edifying. I hope that we can continue these conversations. 
Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk again soon. Thank you.